How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going pretty good. Just pretty good? Just pretty good. It's been a slow weekend. Ain't doing too much. Just finishing up the NHL season. Yeah, thankfully, eh? Finally, we we can actually watch some good hockey for once. Yeah, no kidding. Can't wait for Brad Marchand to lick someone. I don't know. Hey, maybe it'll be Mitch Marner. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. It'd be funny. Oh, that would be hilarious. So, Tim, let's get right into the episode. This is our... I didn't... I forgot to mention this. This is our season two, season finale. Season two, episode 28 in chronological order. Episode 54. We don't have a cover athlete. It's the Bob Cole episode. Done. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll cut out the Bob Cole episode. So, Tim, for this Bob Cole edition of the Third Line Plug Sensecast, we're going to do something a little bit different here because usually for these episodes, you know, we talk about our week. We recap last week's episode, which was fantastic, and it came out great, by the way. And then we go into Dang. top of the hour. We're not doing any of that stuff. Now, for top of the hour, usually for, for a week like this, we would talk about Bob Cole's final game, Glenn Sather retiring as the Rangers president, but we've decided because this is our season two season finale, I guess the best way to close out this season is to talk about our favorite moments from season two, Tim. Mm-hmm. I think there's a bunch of them, honestly. For sure. And I mean, obviously, we got to do 26 episodes this season, not including summer episodes, interviews. And it's been pretty great. I mean, obviously, for 25 of them, you and I were both here. And... The first thank you I do want to give out is to Joseph Santa Moore because he did fill in for you as a co-host. And I have to say, having Joseph as a co-host, it really, I really had to simplify everything for that. Because again, working with you, it's, okay, this is what we're doing. You would give me feedback, this, that, and the next thing, and we're done. Joseph's never done a podcast before, so I simplified everything to a point where, okay, here's everything we're going to do. And these are the notes that you might want to look into. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot less touch and go. Pretty much. I mean, for me, it was, it really goes to show that, not to say that we can just put anybody in the co-hosting seat and it will be perfect. Because obviously I didn't know how it was going to turn out because Joseph had never done a podcast before. I mean, he had done a few radio spots, but he had never done anything like we do every week. So I really think he did a great job. And of course, the next week we had him on for an interview. And you know what's funny? The one thing I always remember about that interview is that you asked him if his seat was warm. <laughs> had to make it memorable. For sure. And then you know what's funny is I was sitting here hearing that. I'm thinking, what is he talking about? And then I realized, oh, that's that's what he's referring to. I had fun. Yeah. So, Tim, what are some of your favorite moments that we've gotten a chance to do in the second season? The first time we ran it, 
we kind of flubbed Turn I Plug is War. Mm-hmm. But I think once we kind of figured out what exactly we wanted from it, it went great. Yeah, because I think that the second Third Line Plug is War went well. Uh, the Ruthless Sense Gresham, I thought, went pretty well, even though the audio levels weren't perfect. And I feel that we perfected it with Monday Night Sensecast. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just fun to be like, open it up with like a fake media opening. It's just, it's really fun to do. And I feel like the episodes feel a bit snappier once we kind of amp ourselves up a bit more. I really mm-hmm. like it. Yeah, because for myself doing those intros, I always think that, wow, you know, I'm going to get really hyped up and I'm really going to be high energy. And for whatever reason, I can't, I can't bring myself to that level. It's weird. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It just feels like I can try, but it kind of feels disingenuous, if you know what I mean. Fair enough. But I find with the, at least with the Leafs games, it's like I'm amped to talk about them. It's like they're always fun games to talk about. So I can use, kind of get the two together and just go. Yeah, and I think that's why for the, you know, those kind of episodes that we've been doing, I always felt that that was perfect, a perfect feeling and a perfect sort of energy that we needed for those episodes. And once I pitched the idea to you, even though I know you're not a, much of a wrestling fan, you came back to me and you're like, you know, that's not a bad idea. Let's give it a go. Well, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a yes first sort of person. You are. But the thing is, is even though you are a yes person, you're not a wallflower. You're not just going to be willing to accept every idea that I have. Because, come on, how many ideas have I thrown out there? You just looked at me and you're like, that will never work for the show, dude. I think that the one that always sticks out of my mind is uh, the Uber video. We wanted to run with that. And then, like, I tried writing it. I'm like, I can't think of a way to do this without it just being mean. Yeah, and even you and I talked about that, right? And I said, you know, it's a very fine line. And obviously, since Twitter was so up in arms about what had happened, that there was no nice way of going about it. Mm-hmm. The only way that we were to do it is that we would do it. And the only thing that would happen is you and I would come off as being a bunch of douchebags. Pretty much. Like, there was no winning on that one. No, absolutely not. You know, coming into the second season is that coming from the first season to the second season, is that you and I kind of had a a pretty basic idea of what we wanted to accomplish with the show. And overall, I feel like we have accomplished that. Do you feel the same way about it? Or is that just me? No, I agree. We are doing what we want it to. The show is doing what we want it to do. Mm-hmm. Because we came into the second season thinking, you know, we would like to do some more interviews. And, you know, the third line plug is war idea came about. So we wanted to go with that because of all the comments Eugene Melnick had made the previous spring. So we figured, okay, you know, ideas like that are going. And I guess the way we should, I guess what we should really start to be talking about is some of the interviews we got a chance to do this season, because obviously we got a chance to talk once again with Trevor Shackles for our first half recap. Now, how do you feel overall that that went, given that we had some technical difficulties on our end? Most notably, I couldn't remember how to sign into Skype. Honestly, it was fun when we did it. I think that's all I can really say. Yeah, because like we, no, obviously we had talked to him, so it wasn't like, oh my god, like we're gonna be talking to Trevor Shackles, you know, and he's such a, he has such a following on Twitter, and you know he's with Hockey Buzz now, and he's got Crossword Pointcast, so anybody else could have seen that and be like, oh wow, we'd be really nervous talking to somebody like that. But since you and I both had a pretty decent relationship with him through social media. And I've met him in the past. 
and he's been on the show, I think that, you know what, he would be perfect for our first half recap. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Sticking with the interviews and coming into 2019, I know one of the big things that I really wanted to accomplish coming into the new year is that I really wanted to go after some of the names of some of the bigger names we had on our interview wish list. And we got to accomplish not one, but we got to accomplish two of those. And I guess the first one we have to talk about is Pan from the Sense Collapse, because I think we should unveil maybe some behind the scenes stuff is that people don't realize how close we came to that not happening. Yeah. It was a, a weird bit of everyone was like, it was everyone was in motion and almost just missed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there was some miscommunication, especially on our part, because I guess, well, for usually for these interviews, we're pretty good on letting the person we're going to talk to know, hey, this is sort of the time that we want to do. And this is the length. And I, I guess Pan, we didn't either, I didn't either let Pan know that or Pan misunderstood what we were talking about. So he was figuring it was going to be like a 10, 15 minute bet. And I told him, no, like we're going to go for an hour. And, you know, and it kind of sucks, obviously, because he's got a full time job and a career and a life outside of podcasting. So we were trying to make it work on his end and also work. It would work on our end, too. And I remember looking at that, our interactions, and I'm thinking to myself, man, we're really going to lose him. And that's when I messaged you and I says, "Okay." Like, what do you think we should do? Like, do you think we should cut the interview down to 15 minutes? And you were just like, you know what, dude, we've got him. He said, hey, here's the time that we want, or here's the time I can do. I feel Mm -hmm. it would be the best to do that. And you know my stance. I didn't want to shortchange everybody because having Pan come on the show, especially a fellow Sense podcaster, that's a big deal for us. Well, I think it's like that first, like it's kind of one of our first, big interviews Mm -hmm. and i mean it's different than when we got to talk with trevor shackles because obviously both you and i had had pretty good interactions with him on twitter pan was sort of the same way i mean obviously i've been a fan of the sense calls for a while i sent emails into the show i seem to have a pretty decent relationship with him on twitter you know with interactions so when i dm'd him and i'm just thinking i didn't even think he would say yes i just thought okay throw it out there, see what he says. If he's interested, we'll bring him on. And he got back to me and he says, you know what? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to come on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it it was a fucking fun interview. Holy shit. For sure. And you know what's funny is that, and I look back at that interview, and I I look back at all uh, all the behind the scenes stuff that we went through, and then, of course, we come to the day we're going to record, and GarageBand would not recognize my microphone. Like, do you remember that? You remember when you and I were talking? I'm like, oh god, GarageBand's not recognizing it. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. Yeah, that that sucked. Yeah, and then I finally said, fuck it. So I, I changed all the settings. So now it's coming out of the speakers. And I called him. Like, yeah, this is what's happening. You know, we got to do it off my phone. And overall, I think the interview came out pretty well. But the more that I think about it, the more that I I like it as a whole, but I think I have mixed feelings on certain parts because you can tell that, not that I was full, not fully engaged, but you can tell that I'm trying, I had so many things going on in my mind going, okay, 
you know, I'm listening to Pan, I'm doing the reading questions, I'm seeing what how much long time we got. And there's a few moments where you can tell, that even though he said something, it's almost like I repeated it, and he's just like, yeah, that's what I just said. I didn't really catch that, honestly. Really? Maybe it was just on my end, then. Maybe it was just me. Yeah. No, and I was just amazed on the stories that were coming out. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and obviously being a fan of the Sense Calls, listening to him, I knew that we were going to get some really great stories. I didn't know how much we were going to get out of him. And to hear the stuff that he was talking about, and obviously I made a couple of subtle Sense Call-Ups references, which I don't know if many people caught on to it, because I didn't really get any feedback on the episode from anybody. Mm-hmm. And you know I... I just don't listen to podcasts. Yeah, and I think that's why for the, you know, for obviously for the show, that's when we changed the format a bit, where we went from what do you think of last week's episode? Because it was usually, and we'll talk about the um, the next interview here, but when we talked to the guys from Maple Surf Shots, that's what I said. You know, we'd be like, yeah, I didn't listen to it. Yeah, neither did I. So it's kind of like. <laughs> There's no real point, right, of obviously asking if neither of us have heard it. And that's why we changed it up to what did you think about the recording of the episode? Did you think this worked, that worked, that? And mm-hmm. That's what we went with, right? And obviously that's the format that we've stuck with so far. Mm, because it works. Absolutely. Actually, uh, speaking of the Maple Syrup Shots interview, and obviously we did this before season two started. And I have to say, for me – that was probably one of the interviews I'm the most proud of because of all the feedback and all the support, everything that Neil and Dave gave us when it came to doing the show. And I feel like it was only right to bring those back, those two guys back together for an interview. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was a hard interview for me because I just couldn't really engage this. Again, I don't listen to podcasts, so I video what was really going on. Mm-hmm. And that's why with some of the interviews that we've got a chance to do is that obviously, you know, I write up a lot, 99% of the interview, but you and I talk about, okay, what do you want to like, what kind of questions do you want to ask? And, you, and I know even for that one, you're like, okay, well, I don't listen to it. And I would say, well, you know, and I would give you some feedback. Well, here's this, that, and the next thing. And that's when you came up with, if you had to redo the, the podcast, would you do sort of bi-monthly like a one episode mm-hmm. every two weeks yeah fair enough fair enough mm-hmm. so speaking of the pan interview and that was one of the biggest interviews we got to do to date and then march came along because that's when we finally got to talk with somebody within the iowa senators organization yeah and it's funny because uh after talking with alexi I think I've started paying more attention to uh, the arena music during the Sens regular broadcasts. Mm-hmm. Because I know even uh, in the same way, right? Even after we got a chance to talk with Sens DJ Alex Marchand, is that I'm the same way. I also started focusing more on the music, and obviously he gave us an insight on what goes into that kind of stuff. So we really got that sort of behind-the-scenes look at what goes into doing a game day for the music. And mm-hmm. what I really found interesting is that he doesn't come in with a set list, except for, like, maybe, obviously, the NHL 100 Classic, where he said he knew the weather was going to be really cold, so he wanted to play music that was really bouncy and people can dance to it. 
And obviously, just getting him to answer the question about Sens Twitter's reaction to the NHL 100 Classic DJ was awesome. Yeah. Well, that story is just funny. I think so, too. And I know that, and we, we've talked about it before, right, is that the pan interview was great. The Alex Marchant one was probably the only one that I was really nervous about. And not because of the questioning, it's because of certain things we were not allowed to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay, that's all that was in my mind was, okay, don't, refre- don't reference it, don't bring it up, don't do anything like that. Stick to the mm-hmm. questions. But I think once we actually got into it, it I kind of just forgot about all the other stuff because I was more keen on the music, honestly. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, again, I didn't realize that how much or what kind of stories he would have told us because again we didn't have a relationship with him on twitter we really had never spoken to him and even like i didn't even think he would agree to come on the podcast i just sort of threw it out there and see if he would be interested Mm, but at the same time it's like asking you shall receive for sure man so let's start talking a little bit about the episodes because as I said, we've got the chance to do 26 episodes this season. Some were good. Some weren't that great. And then others were sort of in the middle. Mm. I've been fine. We've been kind of focusing more on top of the hour than the games themselves. It is true. But again, is that with the games, there's only so much you could really go with it. That's the only problem with the games, and that's why mm-hmm. Top of the Hour, and it's funny because I'm the one that always edits all the podcast episodes, is that I always notice that Top of the Hour is like an hour long, and the games are like 15 minutes. Because again, especially with this season, you can only spin Cody CC sucks and Guy Boucher plays Tom Pyatt too much so many times before you end up repeating yourself. And it's just like, okay... At that point, like, what can we say anymore? Yeah, and I guess the other thing that is interesting, though, is there's a lot of, given the complete and utter dysfunction among the senators, there was a lot of Sens news to talk about. So it's not like we were just abdicating talking about the Sens in favor of talking about shiny hockey story of the week. True, and I always felt that for top of the hour is that I was sort of subjective to what stories I wanted to bring on. Obviously, the bigger news stories, like uh, stuff that new big news stories in the NHL, but I would also sprinkle in some stuff from outside the league. Like last week, we were talking about the three-year ban from the French League. That was one of the Mm -hmm. stories. And of course, last season, we were talking about uh, the big tragedy of the Humboldt Broncos and Eric and Melinda Carlson losing Axel and then Evander Kane losing their son, this year like stories like that and for stories like that i don't realize at the time until i'm going through the fine tip comb to put it all together to send you that i'm thinking okay one two four and it's like 19 20 21 20 just like oh fuck we got like 25 stories to talk about and there have been times where i'm like hey do we really need to talk about this or i'll be like okay that's cool next Pretty much, but you know what? I think for stories like, obviously, uh, if there's a trade, we got to talk about that. Signings, we got to talk about that. If there's a hiring, a firing, you know. And the one thing that I'm really proud about this year, and I can't remember if I did it last year, probably not, is that 
the one thing, especially for the firings, I got to break out my Vince McMahon impression. I, I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> that was still one of my favorite moments from this past season was that, again, I don't do great impressions, but I knew that Vince McMahon, I could do the year fired spot on. Mm-hmm. And, and even it's, last it's, season when we were talking about the XFL, like the this is the XFL, you know, that whole thing. I nailed that in one take. Yeah, that was fucking and, nuts. And my voice was killing me for like a day afterwards. But my voice has gotten to the point now where it's just like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, you're just saying all that stuff. Yeah, I think one of the best things that I've ever done this season is I put a glass of water next to where I record. We're talking for an hour, your board. Your throat's going to get dry at some point. Mm-hmm. Well, I know even doing episodes after we did the interviews, and we got a chance to do that a couple of seasons. Obviously, Joseph St. Amour, we got to do that with. Trevor Shackles, we had to do that with. Pan, Alex Marchant, is that it seems like you, you, all of our energy went into the interviews. So once the episode started, we're just like, okay, why, like, what do we talk about now? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so I guess what we should start talking about now is kind of a wish list, but stuff we would like to accomplish in season three. So do you have maybe a list or some things that you feel that we should maybe do or maybe we should try to accomplish heading into next season? It'd be sick if we could interview a player. But that's going to take a lot of work because we're not local to the area. That's true. And I mean... Obviously, the one player that is on our interview wish list. You, it's funny. You and I were talking about this off air last week, and I said, "If I messaged them, do you think that would be like kind of creepy and stalky?" And you're just like, "Yes, yes, it would be." Yeah, even though you know the Ottawa Citizen did an article about him, and they said in the article where he works, and his work email is on the website. <laughs> yeah, no, I I still think it's a little creepy. It's true. And I mean, I was debating about interview or not interview, debating whether I should email him and just a, a quite inquire about it, see if he would be interested. Because what's the worst he could say? He says no. And if it gets any worse, restraining water. Yeah. Goes both ways, though. <laughs> it's true like obviously like what are some ex-players that you would like to get obviously uh there's a few guys you know obviously i met lance pitlick i know he's uh works at a hockey school in minnesota he would be great talking about his time with the prince edward island senators i know we would never get like a peter sadorkowitz to come on because we don't know where he is maybe he's hanging out with storks Probably. Although I do want to talk a little bit about uh, Pierce Dorkowitz because our friend Adam from the Three Ghosts No Wait, Four Ghosts podcast finally released their new episode a few weeks back, episode 31, the Pierce Dorkowitz episode. And I will bring up right now two things. Number one, Adam did suggest Stork or Sadork to his wife, Kim, who shot it down immediately. Damn. And also Adam messaged me, a couple like a week or two ago and he said that you're the story you told about uh that vice article was the best story he had heard on the show i mean yes it was and you know the funny thing when you told me that i'm sitting here going what the 
fuck is he talking about? What is going on? Because honestly, where that story came from was that we were talking about Mia Khalifa's implant bursting. Yeah, and I was surprised she didn't die. True. That's where that came from. I know. I, although I do think my description of what it looked like is still kind of funny when you really visualize it. Because I said, it's like, you know, if you get like one balloon and you blow it up, then you get the other balloon and you blow it up and then you let the air come out of it. So it looks all fucking saggy and misshaped. That's what it looked like. Yeah. And then I just got about a guy dying because there's too much, <laughs> too much silicone in his nuts. And I was like, where the hell is he going with this? I'm surprised. You let me keep going on that one. I think I was just more shocked than anything else. I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, it's just like, all of a sudden, here's this this story, and Tim has no filter, apparently, so. No, but you know what? And it's funny, um, and we were talking about that on a on a segment coming up here in the today's episode, is that that's probably why we've never signed up with any network, any you know, any websites, anything like that, because they would try and censor us. And for me, I don't know if it's just, I like to be in control. I like to be in charge. I like to do everything. And I feel like that would be kind of taken away if we had to answer to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, we've gotten a few of those offers now and they always seem kind of like, kind of iffy to begin with. And then you think, about it's like, oh, because I don't think I've ever actually heard of a successful podcast network, to be honest. No. Unlike, well, unless it's like uh, Podcast One, but that has like more professional podcasts like the Steve Austin podcast and uh, Brett the Hitman Hearts podcast on there. Adam Carolla was on there. But you know what? Those are famous people. And we're doing yeah. our dopey little podcast out of my bedroom on a MacBook. Yeah, that network's not going anywhere. No, and and we're free to do and say whatever the hell we want. Like, how many websites, if we were working for them, would hear an idea like Third Line Plug is war and say, why would you want to talk about wrestling? Wrestling's not hockey-related. Why would you want to do that? Mm-hmm. Or they'd be like, why are you talking about nutsacks and tits? Yeah, and it's funny. We talked about that in the segment coming up, that we were just like... Yeah, we would have totally gotten that shot down or edited out, and we would have died inside. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Actually, one of the technical things I do want to talk about on my end is that why the episodes sounded the way they did all last season and then coming into this season is because I was recording directly into GarageBand. One little problem with that now is that given that I have an updated version of Skype on my MacBook – it's not compatible with GarageBand anymore. Mm. But you're getting r- the raw audio right through Skype, though, which is quite nice. Yeah, and that's why I, I'm not freaking out about it, because I know when it first happened, and I said to you, and I was like, oh, God, fuck, like, what am I doing? Like, I can't record through GarageBand. I got to do it through my phone. And I was freaking out. And, you know, you being so calm, cool, and collected, you're just like, well, why don't you just look it up on Google, dude? <laughs> And I was like, that's not a bad idea. And then I Googled it, and next thing you know, I heard about the Skype recording thing on through Skype. And it's funny, when we talked to uh, Nick Fleehart from Beer League Talk, and I totally forgot about this. Remember, because GarageBand totally crapped out on us. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Nick was going, dude, like, I'm recording on my end. Like, you could just use that audio. And that's why his interview sounds the way that it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's nice that we haven't had recording issues like that since we've just been grabbing the audio raw from Skype because I'm keeping redundancies on my end as well. So if we ever lose something, I've got a backup. Yeah, and I think that's great that you and I can both do that on our end. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should get a nicer recording system, though. I'm just going off my phone. That is true. That is true. One thing I've noticed is when I switched from whatever the headset I was using to my phone, I was getting mixed. I was, you were able to mix me in louder? Yeah, it was kind of weird. It was like I could hear you more clearly, but all I was hearing was like stuff like that like, on my end. And I was like, what the fuck is he doing? Is he like... Is he moving the headset around? What is he doing? And I've, I remember saying that to you. I was like, dude, why don't you just get like a blue snowball mic like I do or a, or a Yeti mic? Yeah, I've been considering it, honestly. Yeah, and then your computer crapped out on you. Yeah, it's like all the USB ports are dead. That's brutal. Yeah. So I guess for me, what I would like to accomplish heading into the f- season three is I'm really happy with the episodes we've been doing. I would like to do more interviews. And I feel that, and I won't give any names away, but we've got, we've already got a podcaster in mind we want to talk to. We've got a blogger in mind we've got to. And nothing's confirmed, but we're working on an interview with somebody from TSN at the moment to come on the podcast. So I don't want to jinx it at all. But for season three, that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to do more interviews and bring on bigger guests and maybe go after some more of the bigger names that we have on our list. Because I was looking at that list yesterday, like we've gotten almost halfway through our interview wish list that we started a couple of years back. It's kind of nuts, eh? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's a few of them that, you know, obviously, like the bigger names within TSN. I don't know if we would ever get that. But you know what? If that ever happens, we will be more than happy to have them on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on our second season, giving it is our season finale? No, I feel like we've done a lot, and I think we've both like we've I think we've both gotten a lot better at what we're doing. So, I think it wouldn't be right to close this off without kind of recognizing the growth we've had as presenters. For sure. And I mean, we've also gotten some really great feedback and we've got a chance to talk to some amazing people. And I mean, in no chronological order, I mean, obviously we've got a chance to talk with, uh, you know, Joseph, Trevor Shackles, Pan from the Suns Call-Ups, Alex Marchand. And even for today's episode, we got a chance to talk with a newcomer to the Suns blogging community. We got to talk with Kelly Gibbs Barton, who is the host of the Hockey Last blog. Yeah, and I think uh, as long I think both of us want to keep doing it, and we both like doing it, so uh, I think we'll keep the momentum going. So uh, here's the season three, for sure. Well, Tim, with that being said, I guess the only way we should go with this episode is to segue into the Ottawa Senators 2018-2019 second half recap we got to do with Kelly Gibbs Barton. Fantastic. All right, let's get to it. 
Hey, this is Adam from Welland, Ontario, Canada, and you're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. All right, guys, we are back. Now it's time to talk about our 2018-2019 Ottawa Senators second half recap. Now back in December, we had the privilege of having Hockey Buzz writer Trevor Shackles on the show for our first half recap. And today we have a special guest on the program to help us with our second half recap. She is one of the newest members of the Suns blogging community with her blog, That Hockey Lass, and is also making her podcast debut here today on the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us from Leeds, England, Kelly Gibbs-Barton. Kelly, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. It's pretty good. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's nice to get to rant about the Sens on an actual platform other than Twitter, so... <laughs> <laughs> we'll, only tr- we'll only be a little negative. Mm, a little. <laughs> So, Kelly, we're really excited to have you on the show, not only because you are one of the newest members of the Sense Blogging community, but also you have become one of the few people that actually reached out to us on Twitter. Yeah, so when I sort of started up my Twitter account and then, you know, the actual blog as well, I, I spent so much time just like searching for podcasts to listen to and there aren't many other Sense Plan here in England, so I kind of needed like my sense fix somehow and I ended up finding loads of podcasts and you guys were one of them so really enjoyed the content I was like I'd love to hop on that one day and here we are that's awesome so Kelly given that you are one of the newest members of the sense blogging community and you've been on Twitter for about a year now with your account I guess the best way to go about this is we should do a little bit of getting to know you so given that you've only been on twitter since last february and i believe the first time we ever spoke on twitter if i'm not mistaken i think you were commenting on what i said on the show regarding the mcdonald's on elgin street stating that the one in rito was worse so (laughs) it was true i mean i did see the video you did post me and i was just like yeah that's pretty bad so i guess the question i want to go here is that given that you are from the uk how did you become a Ottawa Senators fan? So it's it's a bit of a long-winded one. So when I started at uni here in England, I'd always had my heart set on doing a year abroad. And I decided I was, you know, I wanted to come to Canada. I've always wanted to come to Canada, and I had my heart set on that. Ended up getting a place at Carlton from 2016 to 2017, and joined like a couple societies, one of which was the International Student Society. And they would do, like, trips to certain places around the area and events. And there was one one of them, which was, you know, go to a Sens game. We got cheap tickets, student seats, loads of us going. So I went to that, had a great time. We beat Boston 3-1. It was brilliant. Um, <laughs> that kind of kick-started my dislike of Boston because I, I just hated the way they played. It was my first ever ice hockey game. First one I'd ever watched at all, let alone watched in person live at the CTC. And I just hated them from the get-go. But I didn't really kind of keep up with hockey that much in the next few months. I kind of kept an eye on it, but I wasn't like a huge, massive fan until one of my friends from back in England came to visit me. And she was studying down in Hamilton. She became a massive Leafs fan. And she came up one weekend when the Sens happened to be playing the Leafs. So we went to a pub, we watched the game, the Sens won again, it was great. And that it was after that, that weekend, that I really, really got hooked. Like, I would watch all of the games. I went to see another game at the CTC, which I think was against Tampa. And, yeah, I basically, I watched all the games in the common room. I watched all the games when I was studying. And then, obviously, 
was still in Canada for the playoffs as well, which was really good. So it was it was a good season to be a Sens fan. For sure. And I know that for Tim and myself, like we became fans around 2005, 2006, and that was right in the heyday of the Sens making the playoffs, and then we went to the finals the next year. But yeah, 2017, I think when we look back on it, that was definitely one of the best years of being a fan. And not just because the production on the ice, but because nobody saw that coming. Like, I didn't, I thought, okay, we might win a playoff series. We, you know, I I knew as soon as we played the Rangers in the second round, we would go to the conference finals, but none of us saw how far we would even go. Mm -hmm. I think on top of that, it's, uh, there were so many good stories that year too. Like you had, uh, Nicole Anderson beating cancer. You had, uh, the return of, uh, Clark MacArthur. There was just so much to cheer for. Yeah, for sure. That's one thing I noticed that when I went to first Boston game, like I tried to talk to some of the students at Carlton about the send and they sort of said like, Oh, we've been, we've been kind of average. We go up and down, you know? So I was never really expecting like amazing things. And then we went on this like crazy playoff run that lasted pretty much until, well, I think, I was back in England when we actually lost to the Penguins in Game 7. So when we finally went, like, so I was pretty much there the whole time. So I was sort of, I felt really lucky because I kind of got to experience it when I was abroad. And then I had such high hopes, like, for 2017. <laughs> and, you know, well, we all know how that went. <laughs> Quick question. Did, were you involved in the in the crosswalk dancing? No, I wasn't. Oh. Uh-huh. Um, I wish I could have gone to more games and done more that season, to be honest. Looking back, like, especially now knowing what's happened, like, I wish I could have afforded to go to a playoff game. I wish I could have, like, done more, especially, you know, since it's it's not looking likely we'll get that back there anytime soon. (laughs) No, for sure. But, I mean, also, you got to factor in that the arena is out in Canada, too, right? And that's, and Tim has talked about it on the show, that it's kind of a pain in the ass to get out there for games. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Like on the bus, it, it took between one and two hours just to get from Cartland out to Canada, and even then, that probably was still better than attempting to drive or anything, because I, I would never want to attempt that car park. I don't care if it's twelve dollars. I'm not going in that car park. <laughs> For sure. So another question I want to ask is, given that you're talking about how you became a Senators fan, is what sparked the idea of wanting to start a blog? Was it a specific writer you liked that you were reading thinking, oh, you know, you know, that didn't really inspire me to do it? Or was it you just wanted to get your thoughts out there in long form? It was more the latter. I, I didn't ever want to kind of try and actually write for a, a proper website, like a really good, well-written one like Silver Seven Sands or anything, because I felt like I would never really be able to commit to any decent amount of time. I mean, I'm not only do I have to deal with the time difference being four to five to six hours ahead, depending on the time of year, and also my own commitments, but I wanted to be able to write more. You know, like there's only was it 280 characters in the tweet now (laughs) there's only so much you can say and especially when we've had such a shit show of a couple seasons like I I need to yell I need to run I need to write all my thoughts out and one tweet two tweets was just not going to cover that for sure and I know even uh, for Tim and myself doing a podcast we've had opportunities in the past of joining up with other networks and groups and we've just flat out said like look we can't commit to that because 
obviously we both have full-time jobs and we both have lives outside of the podcast. And this is why that Tim and I make our own schedule. We meet once a week, we talk about the sends and then we come back the next week. And like yourself, I mean, it is a lot of a time commitment, right? And it's just, you know, I don't want to commit to that. And what if things go sideways and then we're, we're kind of screwed. So that's why that we've decided just to go on our own. <laughs> you don't have to worry, like, especially with networks with advertise, like there's advertisement, you kind of have to tone yourselves down. It can't, I feel like you can't be as innovative. So this lets us just fuck around. And if we come up with a stupid idea, we can do it. Yeah, for sure. Like, I really want to write an article comparing, like, NHL teams to drag queens. I mean, as <laughs> you know, like, Poppy Poppy once, once um, at Cool Cat Mom on Twitter, amazing follow, she once wrote a story about, like, I think horoscopes and hockey horoscopes and things. Like, there's so much, like, random crap you can write about, and it's nice to sort of not have that restriction. And I think especially with the way I write, like, I swear a lot, I use a lot of idioms and metaphors and phrases, and I think I quite like the fact that I can be creative and I can let loose and I can swear like a trooper. So, yeah. mm-hmm. Because I know that even if we were on a network, I know uh, when Tim told that story about that Vice article he wrote, or that Vice article he read, somebody would have came to us and be like, dude, you cannot talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah, Kelly, sure. do you know what I was talking about? Do you know what Taylor's alluding to? My memory has gone completely like a sieve, to be quite honest. <laughs> uh, I was talking about someone who died because they put too much silicone in their nutsack. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I, I genuinely didn't think that would be, uh, that that could happen. But, I mean, it's, it's, 20, it's 2018, 2019, like... <laughs> uh. Tim, something tells me Kelly's never going to come back to the show after this. <laughs> I've heard worse, guys. It's fine. I've heard worse. I live in England. Ooh, that's, true. That is true. I know my cousin's wife is English herself, so... Yeah, she definitely has heard worse as well. It's just... Canada's so small, you don't get weird shit happening. But it's not that small. It's only 30 million. The U.S. is 10 times the size of us. Britain's twice as big as we are. I mean, in terms of population, yeah, but not area. Oh, yeah, but you need a lot, you need a lot of people in a, in a dense enough space to get the really weird stuff happening, right? Yeah, that's, that's why Florida Man is a thing. Mm-hmm. And I imagine if you got, like, east side of London Man, you'd probably get some weird shit, too. Yeah, for sure. Well, Kelly, now that we've gotten the sorry, now that we got the getting to know you out of the way, I guess the best way to go is it's time to talk about the second half. So after 41 games, Ottawa's record was 15, 21, and five. Fan optimism began to plummet after Ottawa lost their final five out of six games to close out 2018. Now, given this skid, did you still have optimism heading into the second half that Ottawa could defy the odds and not bottom out, or did you think the skid would continue? To be honest, I had, like, going from that January onwards, I did have a little bit of optimism. I kind of thought maybe we'd finish, like, second last, third last. Just because I look at teams like LA and Detroit and all of the other bottom teams, like, I know that New Jersey have had a really bad stint as well. And I just thought, you know, we do have some, we do have some talent on the team to try and just about not completely suck. 
and then obviously the trade deadline happened and after that I was kind of like yeah nah we're, we're gonna be last I just, I just kind of accepted it from then just because we just don't have we have some great talented players but they're, they're still so young like we don't and we don't have a core group anymore there was there wasn't really any hope in my mind that we wouldn't finish last after February Yes, I mean, it's, it is kind of hard to see, look at the team and go, well, you know, there may be a chance we might not bottom out with this group, but given the trade deadline where the big three UFAs ended up leaving, and it's like, yeah, we may have gotten a really good return for them, but yeah, you know, this team is so young and the talent's not there, and yeah, we're totally going to bottom out. <clears throat> well, I think that was almost by design. Yeah, it's, it's just... Gonna... Sorry. It's oh. just a shame that, like, that design was us without our first-round pick. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, that design's going to carry over to next year. Yeah, it really doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> we, we tried. We tried. Not very hard. No, I, I, think, I think it's just... It's, it's so difficult to be optimistic from... Not necessarily the point of view of looking at the team and, you know, the draft picks we have. And we have all of these up-and-coming stars. And I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about how they're going to be managed. And I worry about in three, four years, them all going as well. And I think that's where the optimism has just gone out of the window for most sense fans. Absolutely. So let's talk about the big three UFAs and their departures of Matt Duchesne, Ryan Dezingle, and Mark Stone. Now, when we talked to Trevor Shackles during our first half recap, we spoke about one of the biggest storylines coming into the season was the UFA status of those three players. Now, since that segment has come out, all three have been traded with Duchesne and Dezingle going to Columbus and Stone heading to Vegas. Overall, I would like to get your thoughts on their departures and the return Dorian got for those players. Yeah, so I I hate to say it, but I still stand by my ground and say that I think in a vacuum, Dorian did do a good job. And it pains me to say it. I think given the fact that, I mean, what did Duchesne leave on a Friday? I think does Ingle on the Saturday and then Mark's done on the Monday, I think. And, you know, he, he got a good return considering the time pressures that he had. And we've got a bucket of picks. We got some good players back that have actually turned out quite well, look at Anthony Duclair. But, you know, it it still hurts. Like, the actual, I can't, I've dealt with sort of the business side of it, but kind of the emotional side of them all going is still a little bit raw, I think. Because mm-hmm, I know even for Tim and myself being fans, the closest thing that we can think of that resembles anything like this was the 07-08 season when, you know, we, hey, we came... It was really high expectation on the Sens. We came into it. We're doing so well. Then the team completely fell apart. And next thing you know, Ray Emery got traded. A year later, Danny Heatley left. And so it, it does kind of remind me a little bit of that. But just the shitstorm that Sens Twitter caused with all the three departures leaving. It's just like, oh, man. Like, I don't even know how to even be optimistic anymore about this team. Yeah, for sure. And I was just sort of, I think, like I said to you guys at one point um, when we were talking on Twitter, I think I would have been fine also as well had Pierre Dura not been and gone and opened his mouth and said that it was the proudest day he'd ever had as a GM. 
there could have been a lot more tact in that. And that that interview was just a nightmare. Yeah, because I know that even my comments I made on the show, that was made before I heard the interview. And after the episode, I was reading on Twitter about it, and I'm thinking, oh, this is not going to go well. I should talk about it next week. For sure, like, I completely understood your comments and everything that you and Tim said on the podcast, like, as soon as they got traded, you know, it all made sense up until that interview. And then he just ruined any respect that we would have had for him following all of the trades. Mm-hmm, for sure. So one player that you actually mentioned here with, regarding of the returns that we got was Anthony Duclair. Now, for myself as a hockey fan, I was highly skeptical of him coming to the Senators, given that he had flamed out in Arizona, Chicago, and Columbus. Now, minus the first full year in Arizona where he had 20 goals, I don't know what it is. Something must have lit a fire under him because overall I've been very happy with his production with his eight goals, six assists for 14 points in 21 games. I guess what I want to ask here is overall, have you been happy with the production he has given to the Senators? And would you like to see Ottawa re-sign him this summer? Yeah, I actually, I was slightly skeptical, skeptical, but I don't think I was as like worried as a lot of other people on Sen's Twitter because I kind of figured maybe, it, like you said, it would have lit a fire under his ass. And maybe also, if you think about it, he's come from lots of teams and, you know, he's ended up on this sort of misfit Ottawa Zenesis team. And I thought maybe, you know, maybe he hasn't just found the right fit yet. And maybe now, like, he has a chance to prove himself on a team that actually doesn't have many other options and are probably going to give him the minutes he needs to prove himself. So I was sort of quietly optimistic that he would actually produce for us. And, yeah, I'm pretty pleased with his performance. And I'd like to see him re-signed. Obviously not to crazy money, but then again, we do need to hit the cap floor, so who knows. But, yeah, I'd like to see him re-signed for sure. Absolutely, because I know even when he came to the Sens is that for me, my overall expectation for him was, okay, let's just see how he does. If it doesn't work out, we can always cut him at the end of the year. But given that he's been very productive for the Senators, I'm thinking, you know, I would really like to see him around because the last couple of games, like he's led the team in shots with, I think, five shots and seven shots in the Sabres and the Blue Jackets games. And I, I, yeah, I'm definitely a fan of the way he plays so far. And like I said, I think he's just, he might have found the right fit. I don't want to rain on the parade too much, but we do have to remember the guys riding a shooting vendor. Like, tw- that is, a full that is one true. in five. One in five shots are going in. That's going to regress. It's a small sample. He does average around 12%, though, so I don't think it's going to regress too hard. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes a 25, 30 goal guy. And I, I'm, I'm still perfectly happy with that. And I think he's probably the type of player we need at the moment. And, I mean, yeah, he's he's not going to be a superstar. His, he is going to regress. But at the same time, I'm still considering how he was kind of just a warm body sent back from a trade. I think he's been doing fairly good for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think if we can get him for like two year, two million, that'd be about right. Oh, yeah, for sure. A a small contract, you know, just something to fill the void. (laughs) So another player I've been very happy with 
for the Ottawa Senators this season has been the play of goalie Anders Nilsson. Now, when Nilsson was traded from Vancouver to Ottawa back in January with Darren Archibald for Tom Pied and Mike McKenna, I'm not going to lie, I really didn't have any expectations for him other than just don't be as terrible as the other goalies we've had this season. And now, given that Nielsen was a 500 at 11-11 with a 9-1-4 save percentage, I feel he has stolen some games for us this season, most notably the final battle of Ontario of the season, where even I said on the show, like, we got outplayed so terribly, I can't believe that we won that game. So when he came to Ottawa, did you have any expectations for him? And would you like to see him come back next season, given the goalies we have in the pipeline? Yeah, so I was in pretty much the same boat as you. Um, I was just hoping he would be a decent backup with just an around 900 save percentage. I wasn't hoping for a lot. But no, I have been quite impressed with him as not only a player on the ice, but as a person off the ice as well. Um, I would like to see him re-signed and just kept as our backup because... Without being harsh, I definitely don't think he's good enough to be our starting goalie. But he has, he has, like you said, stolen some games for us. He's made some fantastic saves. And again, I think he's just a great player for us to have around as a person as well. Like his support that he's shown for the LGBT community, the fact that he's been participating in so much of the off-I-Send off stuff as well. I definitely think, as stereotypical as a thing it is to say, he's just a good person in the locker room as well as a good performer on the ice. Mm-hmm. And given some of the personalities we've had in the room over the last couple of years, most notably somebody like Mike Hoffman, I feel that Honors Nilsson, given his personality and, like you're saying, that his allegiance to the LGBT community would be a real asset in the locker room. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'd like to see him resign, but I, I am very concerned as to what the Sens are going to do because we've got all of these goalies and. I don't really know where we're going to put them all and how we're going to fit them all together in a manner that's going to work. Well, I think Condon's going to rope a island, so I think that solves one thing. Yeah, I, I, is he even alive at this point? Like, I why, actually, why yeah, Condon I read an article like, and apparently he is still alive <laughs> and he is recovering from an injury right now, according to, I think he got some like stem cell transplant or something from what I was reading. Crazy. Yeah, that's that's wild. And I think I think that um, on I was listening to an interview with Joey DeCord, and I think he actually mentioned meeting Mike Condon and chatting with him at one point. So part of me wonders if he would be the type of guy that might be nice to keep around in terms of training our younger goalies. But also, we have too many goalies. <laughs> and I wouldn't be surprised if Joey DeCord ends up in the ECHL for a bit. Yeah, I, I think that's probably going to be that's probably going to be where he ends up. Mm-hmm. It sucks that he'll be living out of a van, but I would be surprised that they would let him. But at the same time, I think the sen- like uh, Bruce Garriott did bring up that the Senators feel like they've been burned by backup goalie contracts before. Think Hammy and Condon. Yeah. So they might just be too gun-shy overall and just not sign him. Yeah, and this is the thing. I think... I think with the goalies, I think Decord would be great in the ECHL. And I think the thing is with Nielsen in terms of a short-term backup goalie contract is I think the problem with Hammond and Condon is maybe just too much money. And I think maybe, I, I mean, I personally would be happy to have Nielsen as our long-term backup purely because I think he has proven himself to be a good backup. 
think I don't because I don't think he's been on a wonder run to give us a false sense of security like we had with Condon in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. We haven't been give, we haven't been put under a false impression. We've kind of been just shown this is what he is. He's good. We haven't been ever given a false pretense of oh my god, look at this amazing guy that's calling an amazing run. So I think in that sense, we have a little bit more security with him because we kind of know what he's good at and what he's not good at at this point. Mm-hmm. I just want to switch gears here and talk quickly about Bobby Ryan. Now, coming into the season, Ryan was seen as a potential buyout option with his production not meeting the big contract he was given. Quietly, I didn't realize he had put up 42 points in 78 games while managing not to break his hand this year. Given his tendency to be prone to injury, are you surprised he has stayed as healthy as he has? And how have you felt about his play this season? Yeah, he's been quietly good for us. And I have been impressed with how he's played. I'm more impressed with the fact that he hasn't gotten injured, though. And I think it's just because we're so habituated to Bobby Ryan breaking his hands or his fingers at this point. But we kind of sadly kind of do expect it to happen now which is a shame because we should be expecting him to put up points with that contract and I think the problem is with a lot of Twitter and not just that but media in general surrounding Bobby Ryan is you know it's it's always quite negative it's all and we're all guilty of it ourselves it's when's he going to break his hands how long are his hands going to last and I think now it's at the point where we kind of just need to think Oh my god, like he's he's put up some decent numbers this season. He's actually done good. And I think the fact that no one's actually noticed that is maybe a testament to is it's just a testament to the contract that he's signed to being so bad. Because all we'll ever think is, yeah, he's a good player, but that contract though. And it's a shame that he was considered as a buyer option. It's a shame that he was considered a jump in maybe when we could try and when we were trying to trade Carlson like he's a better player than just a dump in but because of that contract that's all he's become and it's a shame mm-hmm, but he- at the same time I think he's not going to be that bio idea anymore because Sun's got to get to the floor yeah exactly he's he's perfectly safe now like, we're still completely and utterly under the cap floor so they, they need his contract at this point. So if he can keep putting up the numbers he has been and keep staying healthy, then this is probably going to work out well in the end. Yeah, I would, I would say so. Quickly, I want to talk about Mark Crawford because Crawford took over for Guy Boucher on March 2nd, and I know a lot of people on Sense Twitter thought he would only get maybe two, three wins maybe, but he finished with a 7-10-1 record as interim head coach. One thing I really liked about Guy Boucher, or one thing I really liked Mark Crawford, unlike Guy Boucher, he was willing to play many of the young guns, including Rudolph Balsers, who went from playing seven to eight minutes a night under Guy Boucher to fourteen to fifteen minutes. Would you like to see Crawford become the head coach or full time head coach next season, and or would you rather see Ottawa go for a new head coach? See, I admire what Crawford's done. I love the fact that he has been playing the young guys. But I still think it's too small a sample size to name him head coach. And I hate to say it, but I just I still don't I still don't feel like I trust him with the young guys yet. And I do wonder personally if maybe someone like Troy Mann, because of all the time that he's spent in Belleville with the young players, how he's grown with them. I wonder if he 
he, he would be a better fit because it's it's not necessarily about the level that the teams are playing at. It's about the players. I don't think Crawford should just be handed the job. I'm, I mean, I know he's being considered alongside other people, and I think um, Dorian and the rest of management are looking to interview at least five or six people for the job, and if he gets it through that, great. I just do hope he's not handed the job on a silver platter just because it's more convenient just to turn the assistant coach into the head coach. Mm-hmm. Because I know this was like 10, 15 years ago, there wouldn't even be a second thought about Mark Crawford becoming the head coach because he had all the success he had with the Avalanche winning a Stanley Cup. He then goes to Vancouver with the West Coast Express line there in the early 2000s. But given that it's not 2004 anymore, it's 2019, and he really hasn't been a head coach in a long time, other than his stint with the LA Kings and then working in the Swiss League. You know, I don't think Crawford has done a really bad job. I really like he's played the young guns, but I don't know if he'll become the full-time head coach next season. Yeah, exactly. I think I think he's done a good job as the interim head coach, but yeah, I'm I'm still not I'm still not fully convinced that he should, he should be the head coach. I, I haven't been completely bold over... But if that if that 7-10-1 record, did you say it was? That yes. was like 10-7-1, maybe a different story. Yeah, no, it's it's hard, but I guess the other question is if they are not going to bring up Trent Mann, I think there is reason to keep developing guys at Belleville. Who the hell, who the hell else are they going to pick up? Like, if it's Willie Dick, if it's Mark Crawford or, say, Willie Dick or Dane, I'd take Mark Crawford Oh yeah, for sure. And I think we've got to consider like a lot of good candidates. And I think the key thing for us is getting a coach who is more used to young players and rebuilding teams. Someone who is used to winning Stanley Cups and having a ton of success with sort of older teams is probably not really going to be the best fit for us. As much success as they would have in general and have had in the past. I think we do need someone that's going to really connect with the guys more, especially when we are going to be a very young group. We are not going to have the most experience if you look at all the players that will be coming up. So, I yeah, I would take Mark Crawford over someone like Willie Desjardins. I, uh, yeah, definitely. Let's switch gears to talk about the man known as Hot Sam Bacho, Thomas Shabbat. Now, in the second half, Tom Shabbat really cooled off in his production, especially given the really red-hot first half that he had that put him in the conversation for the Norris Trophy. How much do you think that his shoulder injury earlier this season has played into his cooling off into the second half? I have noticed like he did really slow down in the second half of the season. and It, it could have been the injury. It could have been just progression and it might have been you know losing the ufas as well you've got you're losing playmakers you're losing you know also people he can he can then set up in return i think that probably did have some sort of negative effect um but yeah i i definitely think it must have done something yeah well I, one thing i've noticed about shabbat over the last several weeks and this is more of a negative towards shabbat is that on Certain plays, it looks like he just kind of gives up. Like, he just sort of stands there and watches them go past him. And I'm like, why are you doing that, dude? You've got foot speed to catch him. Yeah, and I wonder if part of it maybe is, you know, it must be difficult because he had he had Eric Carlson as his sort of mentor. Then they lost all the other players. And I think one thing that we don't kind of consider enough is 
as fans, obviously we miss the superstars, but it must have a negative effect on the players on the ice as well in terms of not only sort of production and providing the points and the skill, but also in terms of like friendships and off-ice stuff as well and camaraderie. So I wonder if maybe as well as perhaps still being slightly injured and not being back up to speed with his physical health, his mental health might have taken a bit of a knock. He might sort of be thinking, well, what's the point? We're going to finish last anyway. And I mean, I hope that's not the case. But would you blame him if it was? Uh, As a person, I can kind of see it. But as a fan of a professional sports team, you know, you always want your players to give 100% every game. And especially with the last couple of weeks where I've seen, like, he looks like he kind of gives up on a play or he looks kind of lost. And I know even uh, last night's game versus Columbus when Anders Nilsson totally saved him because he had the puck, the Columbus guy went around him, caught it, and Anders Nilsson made that great save. That, for me, is just a stamp of Shabbat's play over the last several weeks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's only he's still obviously also only just come back from the from the broken toe. Um, so I wonder maybe if at this point he is just burnt out from the injuries because it's it's probably exhausting being on the sense at the moment anyway because Shabbat is one of our best players. So between him carrying the team in terms of points for most of the season between him carrying the defense pretty much by himself, other than the occasional bright spark from DeMello, and then being injured, maybe he is just really burnt out physically. Yeah, and he's playing like half an hour a night, most nights too. And he's often anchored to Cody Cece. For sure. That's, that's, that's hard, hard skating. That's hard skating, that's hard work physically, and that's hard work mentally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's a lot to ask of a guy who's 21 years old, and I know even when Eric Carlson was 20, 21 years old coming into the NHL, like they weren't playing him that kind of minutes. They were pairing him as like a second to third pairing defenseman, and so they were kind of easing him kind of into that role where he can now develop into the first pairing defenseman that we want him to be. Yeah, Shabal has not really been eased in. Like after, after Carlson left, Shabal was just kind of thrown in like, you're our number one defenseman now. Go have fun. And what, so he's kind of thrived in that role, though. Like Ottawa is better with Shabbat on the ice than when he's not, and nice. he's scoring at an elite level. Yeah, he's totally I, I am so proud of him and the way he's played and his performance and the points he's racked up. I, I think he has thrived in that environment, but I still think he does need more support. Oh. And yeah, for sure. He needs so much more support. He needs so much more help because, yeah, at this point, he is one of the superstars of the team. You know, even superstars need decent people around them. Yeah. Like, at least Conor McDavid's got Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah, and even that's not even enough to get them in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. no. It won't be enough. No. So let's start talking about the man that we refer to as Tachukamania, Brady Tachuk. Now, I know that fans were outraged last June, including ourselves, when the team drafted him over Philip Sedina. And it seemed like overnight, Brady Tachuk really became a fan favorite, finding instant chemistry with Mark Stone and Colin White. And once Mark Stone left the Senators, he continued his production. 
Were you surprised at all that he continued his production after the Stone trade? And do you regret what you may or may not have said when he was drafted? Yeah, so I'll start with, I regret everything that I ever said about Brady Kachuk on the 22nd of June last year. Completely everything. I mean, we all, I was I was actually in Ottawa at the time, um, hanging out with those people from Sense Twitter. We all watched the draft together, and we were all furious that we picked up Kachuk. We just looked at his face, and we were like, he just looks like an asshole. But looking at it now, like, he's our little asshole. <laughs> He is he is one of my favorite players. His energy is just infectious. He is always happy. He's so good with fans. And part of me is surprised that he has kept up his production without Mark Stone. Purely because, again, like I said earlier, it's it's not just the production impact it has. It's also, you know, the mental impact it has on players. You know, Kachuk was such good friends with Stone. Like, he lived with him. I think... Um, Stone, his girlfriend, and, and um, Brady, all, they all went as like a Halloween, a joint Halloween costume together last year. You know, they had quite a big, a, quite a good bond there. So I did wonder how that might affect Kachuk going forward. But he, it, he has not let it stop him. His energy is still there. He's always at the front of the net or in the net, literally. He is always fighting for the puck. He always has the energy. And I'm just so impressed with not only the actual points he's produced, but like I said, the energy he's brought to the team. Like he's been one of the bright sparks in a season that has been very dim. For sure. And I know that in a few weeks we'll be doing our top five actual good things about this season. And the one thing I've noticed about Brady Tkachuk is his mental, not only his mental toughness, but he seems mentally prepared to play in the NHL. And I remember there was a game versus Arizona where one of the Coyote players went right around him and potted a goal. And you could see him sort of throw his head back. And then it cut to him later on the bench talking to Michael Bodker. And you could see Bodker talking to him like, hey, kid. Don't worry about it. Just go out there and play. And the next couple of shifts, you saw him go out there, throwing his weight around, getting in front of the net. And I said, you know what? That's why I like Brady to Chuck because this is a kid. He's such a breath of fresh air to this team that, you know what? He doesn't get discouraged when stuff like that happens because of the group that we have around him. And if it yeah. wasn't for Elias Pedersen, he would win a call. Yeah, for sure. Oh, either that or Bennington over in St. Louis. Yeah. But- he has been, he has been like, like I said, such a bright spark for the team. And something I read on Twitter re- the other day really did make me laugh. So, um, one of the um, a podcaster from, um, I think I'm not sure if she's from somewhere in America, but she's a big Buffalo Sabres fan. Her name's Hannah. I think her at is like hburrito92 or something. She called Brady Kachuk a precious demon child. And that has been one of my favorite tweets of the year because it's so wonderfully accurate. He has been getting in people's faces. He has been getting in front of the net. When he stood up for Mark Stone, who is like 10 years older than he is, after like a slightly dodgy hit, and then goes off to say that was me paying my rent. He has just been such a wonderful energy for this team during this season. And I I really, really, really hope he doesn't get pissed off and leave because I love having him on the team. Whether he develops into a highly skilled player, even if he develops into a skilled but slightly Marchand type of irritating person, 
I, I do not want to see Brady Kachuk leave the Sens. For sure, because I know that even on the Brian Five or Six podcast, Ben Milks made the comment on there about drafting Brady Kachuk. He says, you know, he would want to see them draft him because he would be our Brendan Gallagher, our Nazem Kadri, our Brad Marchant, the guy that is such an agitator on the ice that he takes everybody's mind off the game and now all the attention's on him. Yeah, and it's the same also sort of style of play that his brother plays as well. Matthew Kachuk annoys the hell out of everyone. But the thing is, they're both looking to be really skilled players in their own right. They're not just fighters. They're not just people who throw their weight around with brute force and don't really pick up any points. They're not the Milan Lucic's of the world. But they are annoying. And I think that's we need that little bit of grit without someone who's going to be constantly in the penalty box. For sure. Now, given that the 2018-2019 season ended last night, which means it's time to start talking about our off-season wish list. So, coming into this off-season, what would you like to see the Ottawa Senators do regarding signings, trades, hiring a new coach, kind of stuff like that? To be honest, it's more kind of what I want the Sens not to do. For example, I really don't want us to sign loads of our very mediocre players to insanely large and money-filled contracts just to hit the cap floor. Because, yeah, I know that the cap floor is a big concern for us this season, but I, I don't really want to give, like, $10 million to Cody Cece. I don't think a lot of our sort of very average mediocre forwards that we've got from previous trades, like, no offense to people like Gibbons or um, Limburg, but... They are good players, but we need to sign some stars. We have leftover money to be able to. You know, there's going to be people who can't sign with teams like Toronto, teams that can't sign with teams like Tampa. We have the space to be able to sort of say, hey, you can't afford all your players. Give some of them to us. So I'm kind of hoping we just don't go off the rails and do a bunch of stupid shit. Because <laughs> that's all I can really hope for now. No stupid shit. <laughs> Yeah, that's all we can really wish for at this point, Ken. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see... I mean, where are we with Shabbat's contract at the moment? Is he is he going to be an RFA next year? Yes, I believe after next season he will be an RFA. Okay, that's, we don't have to worry about that for the moment then. Um, yeah, I'd like to see Anders Nielsen re-signed. I think... It's a little bit of a controversial one, but one player I would like to see re-signed who is kind of one of those quote-unquote average players, I would like to see us re-sign Magnus Payavi to like another, I don't know, one-year, one-million contract. Something simple, purely because also he is a leaf killer, and I'm enjoying that. Actually, we have coined the term Bud Buster. Ooh, I like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Noted, noted Bud Buster, Magnus Payavi. I'd, I'd be happy to see them re-sign him. He's he's a good full flyer for us. I've been sort of content with his production for how much we're paying him. Um, but yeah, apart from that, I, I, I don't really have any sort of hopes anymore because I know that half of them will be crushed anyway, <laughs> as depressing as that sounds. Very true. Now, given that the playoffs are going to be starting on Wednesday, uh, what are some predictions you have for the first round? See, I when I before I make sort of proper predictions, I'd normally sort of look at stats and sort of see what teams' records are like against each other. But this is the NHL, and nothing makes sense. So I'm gonna sort of throw out a curveball, and I I think it'll be something like Vegas Pittsburgh. 
I think I think Tampa might choke from the pressure because they yes they are doing so well. But still, look how much trouble Montreal gave them the other day. It's true. I mean, I even said that Tampa Bay's either going to win the Stanley Cup or they're going to go out in the first round. There is no middle ground with that team. Yeah. I, I do wonder if if maybe they'll choke. And I just see, like I look at San Jose, and while they're an amazing team, and I would love Eric Carlson to get a Stanley Cup, I think a lot of their players are getting old. A lot of their players are getting slow. And I, I genuinely think in that series, Vegas is going to be more well-rounded. I can see Calgary storming Colorado. Dallas, Nashville. Dallas could win that with the goaltending they've had this season. Bishop has been absolutely, like, just smashing it out of the park this season. Whereas if you compare that to a team like San Jose, they don't have any goaltending. Martin Jones has just kind of fallen off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Unless he's willing to regain his form of like three years ago, I see that series with Vegas being very interesting to watch. Martin Jones was never good. It was just Tampa Bay flew around him. Yeah. So and Tampa, I think I think the thing is with Vegas as well, they they I just think they're a more well rounded team and then they've got Flurry. Like I have a massive soft spot for Marc Andre Flurry. Despite him being a former penguin, I do have a massive soft spot for him and I, I think he could probably, he can carry them as well. In terms of the East, Boston, Toronto, I think is going to be more is going to be closer this year than we think it's going to be. I don't. I think Toronto have definitely gotten more confident within themselves, and I definitely think maybe at some point they might have got the monkey off their backs with Boston. But Boston still have the three headed monster. So that that's that's probably the series I'm actually going to try and watch and see and keep up with, despite being here in England. I know. Given that your comments earlier about the Bruins, does this mean you'll be going for Boston versus Toronto? Honestly, if I had my way, neither of them would win <laughs> because I I I really dislike the Bruins. I really dislike the Leafs, um, and honestly, I. I think that's part of the reason why I want to watch it so much because I don't really like either team. But, the, you know, Boston versus Toronto is becoming the new Washington-Bitsburg. It's becoming the rivalry that always happens in the playoffs that everyone's going to watch and want to, wants to know what happens. And I think we are missing some of those rivalries now. We are missing, like, a lot of the really heated rivalries that you probably would have seen in the past so you know i think it's going to be a very good series but i don't want to say i'm supporting either of the teams because i'm really not <laughs> i just want brad marchand to lick someone to be honest <laughs> i think i heard the other day that you know he never actually i think formally got told he couldn't lick people <laughs> i'm pretty sure they were talking about it on the um the puck soup podcast and while the team like actual Boston's management were told that he couldn't lick people. I don't think he was ever explicitly told himself that he couldn't lick people. Wouldn't surprise me if he was. <laughs> I, I think he's toned down his game too much now to, to go around licking people. And Leo Komarov has left, so he won't be licking him, at him anytime soon. Oh, let's just go up and lick Marner and tell him that the Leafs owe him $13 million. <laughs> Uh, don't don't give Mitch Marner's agent any more ideas. He's he's had enough of those. 
So, Kelly, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show and all the best to your blog. Now, before we close out this segment, how can the people who are listening to this find you on Twitter and how can they find your blog? Okay, so my blog and Twitter are slightly different. So the blog is thehockeylass.blogspot.com. So that's the hockey lass. But my Twitter is that hockey lass. Unfortunately, I basically fucked Blogspot up and ended up deleting the URL for anyone to use, including myself. So I've not been able to use that hockey last for it, which is, is, is very dumb, but that's it. So, yeah, if you want very angry screaming, which will inevitably turn down now that the season's over, then, yeah, it would be pretty cool to have it checked out. But I want to say thanks to you guys for having me on and listening to me ramble. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a great time. Now, once again, before we close out the segment, and I hope you would stay on the line so we can get you to record a promo for the show, whenever we get somebody on the show to talk with them, we usually get them to reenact Dean Brown's no infamous call of Hot Sam Bacho. So, uh, Kelly, I was wondering, can you give us a Hot Sam Bacho? I knew this was coming, and I've been, like, quietly kind of practicing this because I knew you guys were going to ask, but I'm still not prepared to actually do this right. So I'm going to give it a go, but if it, if it sounds terrible, it's on you guys. But give me an intro in, and I'll do it. All right. Kelly, can you give us a hot sambacho? Hot sambacho! Excellent. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kelly. Thanks, guys. All right. Cheers. Hi, this is Kelly from thehockeylast.blogspot.com, and you're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Okay, guys, we are back here on the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Big thank you to Kelly Gibbs Barton from That Hockey Lass for coming on to talk with us about the 2018-2019 Ottawa Senators second half recap. Now, Tim, with that being said, it's time to talk about the four games we've got to talk about today. We've got the Lightning versus the Senators. Senators versus the Rangers, Senators versus the Sabres, and the season finale, the Blue Jackets versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Okay, guys, it's time to start talking about the Lightning versus the Senators. This is a 5-2 Lightning victory. Lightning goals were scored by Yanni Gouda with two, Miguel Sergeyev, and Braden Point. Sens goals were scored by Dachuk Media and Max Verano. Shots were 26-24 for the Lightning. Yanni Gouda taps at home on a wide open net to make it 1-0 Lightning. Brady Dachuk scores to tie the game at 1 on a line change. Miguel Sergeyev scores to make it 2-1 on a shot from the point. Braden Point scores to make it 3-1 Lightning. Veronanu sneaks one in to make it 3-2 after Ottawa cycled the puck. Yanni Gorda got his second of the night after he got behind the D for a rink-wide pass. And Steven Stamko snipes it home to make it 5-2, which would be the final. So I had to condense watch this game because it happened on a Monday and we were recording the Monday Night Sensecast episode last week. So Craig Anderson, 21 saves at .808 save percentage. Regardless of how bad Ottawa's D played, he was not great in this game at all. No, I didn't get a chance to watch the game either, but yeah, at point eight, you got to be pointing some figures. Absolutely, and even watching this game, like, and I know a few weeks ago we were talking about Craig Anderson and that it was one of the worst performances I've seen him play as he just stood there. 
again, there was not some of the goals. There was not much he can do about it, but there was one of them where it went through the five hole and he didn't even close it. He was just like, "Yeah, I guess it's in now." Yeah, and it was funny because of the shots that Ottawa allowed into the slot, they went in. Yeah, there was three goals, two saves, and a miss. Not great. No. One guy who did actually look pretty decent on this was Max Verano. One goal on two shots. For me, when I saw it, he, it looked like he showed what he could do offensively with that goal. And one guy who I feel really deserves a shout-out is Rudolph Balsers because I really liked the move that he made on that goal where he faked the goalie out, made like he was going to take the shot and then passed it off to Verano in the slot. Yeah, it's hard because in a game where you're getting dumpstered, it's hard to find positives, but I think Balser's played well enough. Shabbat was the best of the defense, but it wasn't a great effort. No. Actually, one guy who led in shots in this game was Anthony Duclair with five. And I know that we talked yep. about it in the second half recap with Kelly, is that I've been really, really happy with this play, given that, again, he flamed out with like three other teams, so when he came to Ottawa, I didn't I was a little cautious. I didn't know what to really make of him until I actually saw him play. And, that, I mean, that first game versus Calgary, that was great, especially when he rung it off the post. I literally thought it went in, and I jumped up in the air. Mm-hmm. But it's good to see that he's able to generate some shots when the rest of the team isn't exactly clicking. Yeah, but all you can really say is uh, this is what happens when the best team in the league comes and plays the worst team in the league. True. And actually, we got to give a really big shout-out to the Tampa Bay Lightning because they tied the 1976 Montreal Canadiens with their 60th win. Like, does that surprise you at all that Tampa Bay has 60 wins? I mean, I knew they were good, but I didn't think they were going to be this good. I think if you told me at the beginning of the season that Tampa was just going to route everyone and win literally three-quarters of their games, I wouldn't have believed you. But after the midpoint of the season, I'm not surprised. No. This team is on a fucking mission. For sure, man. And they suppressed Ottawa for large periods of this game. Oh, yeah. So, Tim, I guess it's time to start talking about the second game of the evening. Sens versus Rangers. This is a 4-1 Senators victory. Sens was scored by Bobby Ryan, Zach Smith, Brady DeChuck, and Brian Gibbons. Rangers were scored by Elias Anderson. Shots were 31-28 for the Senators. A fairly even game overall. Both teams got a number of scoring chances after their after they played turned up. However, all the bounces went for Ottawa. So another guy we talked about in the second half recap, Anders Nilsson, 21 saves, a .964 save percentage. For what action he saw in this game, I thought he looked pretty solid. Well, what was good is that I felt the Sens' defense didn't make him that busy. Other than a few times where Nemestikov and Zibanejad got in close. Mm-hmm. They mostly kept the opposition to the outside. Yeah, there's and, a couple uh, Yeah, I mean there's a couple of guys I was really impressed with this game. Obviously Bobby Ryan with a goal on three shots. I felt he had a pretty decent game overall. One guy that I was actually I really liked his play was Colin White with two assists. And there's not too many games that I've been able to say that since Mark Stone has left for Vegas. Fair enough, but I feel that Colin White just him and Kachuk play very well together. And I was very surprised. Like, Colin Wright was very confidently moving the puck up and down the ice. And 
him and Brady were definitely Ottawa's best forwards. Mm-hmm. I felt that like, Thomas Shabbat had a night. Yes, he did. Yeah, Thomas Shabbat looked pretty good. Brady and Chuck also looked pretty good. He could have potted two in this game from what I saw. Now, in fairness, I only watched the first two periods. In the third period, I condensed watched it. But with a goal and assist, I thought Brady Kachuk played very well. Oh, yeah. Brady Kachuk was doing Brady Kachuk things. And if the guy was a, a bigger asshole on that on that extended five-on-three, I wouldn't be surprised if he started doing the Sean Avery. Oh, I know. That would have been amazing. Well, the thing is is that he he is a lot like his brother Matthew, but I think Matthew's more of an asshole on the ice than Brady is. Brady's a pain in the ass, but he's definitely not as big of an asshole as Matthew is. Hard to say. Well, like, well, here's the, the thing. Like, you don't Brady. see Brady to Chuck, you know, running goalies over. And I remember even watching the one of the few games I've watched outside of the Ottawa games is – I think it was Vegas versus Calgary, and Matthew Tuchuk ran over Mark Andre Fleury, and that big brawl happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I guess he's not intentionally running goalies over, but he lives in the crease, so he's going to be knocking goalies over. Yeah. But yeah, it was. Ottawa played a very clean game. Like I felt that their passing was very good, and they are generally breaking out well. Mm-hmm. Well, I felt the Rangers were kind of disorganized. Yeah, the Rangers were kind of just in first gear. They really didn't even move around. They were just like, pass it. Oh, okay, it's turned over. All right. Whatever. Yeah, and we're I out of the playoffs. Because the Sens had to take Mika Zibanejad right out of the game. Mm-hmm. Who's having a really good year for the Rangers, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually surprised. Like, Ryan Strom actually looked pretty good. Yes, he did. Actually, Ryan Strom did have a really decent game for the Rangers in that one. And it's funny, and when I, I heard Ryan Strom, I was thinking, Ryan Strom? Well, immediately, actually, the guy I was thinking about when I heard his name was uh, Shane Prince. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking Shane Prince when I heard him. I was like, man, he used to play for the Sens. And then I realized, no, that's Shane Prince. Well, to be fair, New York managed to rescue him from Edmonton. That is true. And his performance is been much better with New York than it has in the dumpster fire. Yeah. Yeah, isn't so that, that funny, eh? Edmonton thought they were going to save him from the Islanders, and then the Rangers ended up saving him from the Oilers? Well, for some reason, they dumped Everleg. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, and he's doing great right now in uh, down there in the island. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the Islanders end up with more points than the Leafs this year? You know what? I can quickly look that up, Tim, because I've got a laptop right in front of me. You might be right. Yes, they did. did the Islanders they? ended with 103 points. Toronto only got 100. Toronto actually ended the year worse than last year. Yeah. You know what's actually... It's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad, is that Montreal finished with 44 wins and they still missed the playoffs. The East was fucking gross, though, eh? It's true. It was like... Well, that's the thing. Like, obviously, Tampa, Boston, Toronto. Then it's like everybody else after that. Well, what's weird is... If uh, Toronto had lost two more games... Montreal would have had an outside chance of entering the playoffs. Yep. It's fucking weird. At Toronto's expense. That is true. Actually, the one thing I do want to comment about the Rangers is that 
when they played the Devils the other night, they sent it. They started the "We Both Suck" chant. There's unity sometimes in this world. It's hard to find, but it's there. It's true. So, Tim, do you want to turn our attention to the fourth and final game of the season? Well, actually, uh, no. Sorry, we haven't even got that far yet. Sorry, guys. I realize that this is the final game of the season. No, we actually we're on our third game. Sens versus Sabres. Sorry about that. Sens versus Sabres. This is a 5-2 Sabres victory. Sens goals are scored by Anthony Duclair and Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Sabres goals are scored by Victor Olofsson, Kyle Ocaposo, Sam Reinhardt, Jack Eichel, and Jason Pominville. Shots were 40-23 for the Buffalo Sabres. Anthony Duclair tips in the Cody CC point shot to make it 1-0 Senators. Victor Olofsson scores to tie the game at 1. JGP scores on the Bodka rebound to make it 2-1 Senators. Kyle Ocaposo scores to tie the game at 2. Sam Reinhardt scores in the slot to make it 3-2 Sabres. Jack Eichel scores to make it 4-2 Sabres. And Jason Pomville scores after Decorah tries to clear it around the boards to make it a 5-2 Sabres final. I condensed watched it. I didn't feel like watching this game because I work with a guy who's a Sabres fan who basically told me, he goes, yeah, so... um, no, so congrats for those two points we're going to give you tonight. And like the next day I saw him, I was like, yeah, so what about those two points you guys were supposed to give us, apparently? Thomas Shabbat had an off night. Yeah, he's having a, he's had a few of those nights in the last several weeks. Yeah, but this is at, at 20% of shot share. He really wasn't having it. And... Uh, feel bad for the guy because if he's out there's no one to back him up no and Will Annan wasn't having a great night either so all of a sudden you can't there's no one who can move a puck on the back end it's true and that's where I'm gonna go with my first note here is Joey Decord 35 saves at .875 save percentage man the defense really left him out to dry in this game like except for the last goal which you know that was such a gimme to Bombinville. That was such a gimme. I was just like, oh, I feel bad for him because he's a young goalie. But, man, that's a tough break. Because you know what? I've seen even the best, like, Martin Brodeur do stuff like that. Yeah. But at the same time, it is kind of cool that Almondville got to score in Buffalo in his last home game of his career. Yeah. The only other note, funny enough, I have in this game, Anthony Duclair, one goal and two shots. I'll say it before and I'll say it again, Tim. I really hope he gets re-signed. Yeah, I hope that I hope that he becomes something in the NHL because there's skill there. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why is because Arizona, when he was with the Coyotes, the Coyotes do not have a good track record with developing young players. I mean, look at all the talent of uh, young prospects they had. Like they had Anthony D'Angelo, they had you know Max Domi, they had him, they had guys like that. How many of those guys ever panned out until they left? Yeah, no kidding. And that's kind of scary. But yeah, this was a rough, this is a really rough game to watch because you can, you can definitely tell that the Sens had played last night. Yep. And uh, they just weren't in it. And at the same time, I think Buffalo was really keyed in to get the win for Palmville. Mm-hmm. So that's a bad combo. It is, for sure. So, Tim, I don't really have any more comments if you want to go on to talk about the fourth and final game of the evening, even though I kind of jumped the sh- – not jumped the shark, but I sort of, you know – Jumped the gun. Yeah, I jumped the gun there. Yeah, let's talk about the last game of the season. 
Okay, Blue Jackets versus Senators. This is a 62. Blue Jackets are three. Blue Jackets goals are scored by Pierre Luc Dubois with two. Marcus Nunavera, David Savard, Alexander Texar, Oliver Bjorkstrad, and Riley Nash. Senators goals are scored by Hot Sambacho and Miguel Biker. Shots were 29 26 for the Senators. Pierre Luc Dubois scores to make it 1 0 Columbus. Nudevera scores to make it 2-0 Columbus. David Savard scores to make it 3-0 Columbus after Demela banked it in. Shabbat made the sweet move to score to make it 3-1. Alex Texier gets his first NHL goal to make it 4-1. Bodker scores in the slot to make it 4-2. Bjorkstrand hammers at home to make it 5-2. And Riley Nash pots the empty netter, which made it 6-2 Columbus final, officially ending the 2018-2019 Senators for the Ottawa Senators. Thank fucking God! So I had to... Honestly, I condensed watch this game again because I I wanted to get everything finished for today's episode. And honestly, I just did not feel like sitting down watching this game. Yeah, this was uh, something else. Yeah, I mean, Thomas Shabbat, one goal, three shots. Even though that was a beauty goal, and you were saying this in the last game... He did not have a good game defensively, especially on the play where he had the puck. The the guy stole it. He went around him, and Anders Nilsson saved his bacon by making that beauty glove save. Yeah, it's interesting because it it was a weird game for Shabbat because overall he actually played pretty well. He completely shut down the Duchesne line. Right. But the the Panner and Atkins on line had his number. But they had everyone's number. True. Like that, they were they were skating around at will. And uh, if they can see, like I know you're playing the last place team will be. If you can play like that, this team's going to be scary in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I don't think Washington got out easy. Sorry, I don't want Washington. They, they're playing. They're, they get to play Tampa. Yeah. Like that's going to, Tampa has a rough, game. Sorry, a rough first round matchup in Columbus. Yeah, it's going to be really tough for them, man. Like, you know what? It's funny. I was looking at the bracket there today. It's going to be tough. Like, I'm we're going to get some really good hockey out of this, and I'm actually really looking forward to watching some really good hockey. Mm-hmm. The West is going to be a basket case, though. Oh yeah, the West is going to be something else. But a uh, couple it's other notes: Anders Nilsson, seventeen saves, point eight nine five save percentage. Made some great saves, but I mean, pretty much. I mean, the game was pretty much over by the point that he came in. And Anthony Duclair, seven shots in this game. Yeah, no, I want to see more of that from Anthony Duclair. I I'd be down for signing him to. Uh, yeah, I'd be down to signing him for like a, a short-term contract, as I said, if he can continue to generate some shots. Um, another thing, I guess, that's worthwhile noting, one of three games this season without a penalty. Really? Yep, no special teams. Crazy. Yeah, just a weird thing to think about. Well, I mean, it's not as weird to think that, I guess that wraps up the games, man, for the season. Yeah, to be honest, I think I was paying closer attention to uh, the Leafs-Habs game. 
True. I mean, yeah. apparently it was a way better game than this. Holy crap, yeah. Ryan Pauling comes in, scores a hat trick on his first game, then scores the shoot the shootout winner. Yeah. And it's Bob Cole's last game. And Bob Cole called a hell of a game. That's great to hear. And then he teamed up at the end of overtime. It was a fantastic game to watch. That's awesome, man. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up the games for the 2018-2019 Ottawa Senators. Now, usually this would be the time that I would say, do you have anything that you want to say before we head off into the close? But we're going to do something a little bit different. We are going to do our 2019 Stanley Cup first-round playoff predictions. Yeah. Now, because we are a Western podcast... We're going to start off in the Western Conference. We're going to start off with the Calgary Flames versus the Colorado Avalanche. Now, I'm going to go on record and say, you know, overall, I'm going to say Calgary will probably take them in seven games. But the only reason I'm very hesitant to say that is because, again, Mike Smith has never been a very consistent goalie. Is the best way to... Good's another word, but yeah, a very consistent goalie because I know even if you read uh, Nick Fleahart's Twitter feed over this season, he just rips Mike Smith apart. But you know, Calgary overall is a really solid team. They have a team that's built to play in the playoffs. And I feel that they're... Me, personally, I think they're a more rounded team than Colorado. Colorado may have like Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog and Tyler Berry... Overall, I just think Calgary has the more well-rounded team, more experienced team, and I think they're going to take it in seven games. Well, the other thing is, if Mike Smith shits the bed, at least they have a reliable option in Riddick. Yep. So, honestly, I think Calgary's going to dumpster Colorado. Like, Colorado has a top line, then after that, nothing really. Uh, Simone Valramov hasn't been that great. Uh, it's been the top line doing all the heavy lifting. I think Calgary probably takes them in five games. Yeah, okay. it's going to be a dumpster. All right. Okay, the next series we're going to talk about, and this is probably because we're Ottawa Senator fans. This is the one series in the Western Conference I will for sure be following very closely: San Jose versus Vegas. Now, I this is one of the series that this is going to be a. An odd series because, again, you have two really good teams and they're both well-rounded teams. But I'm going to give the nod to Vegas in seven games. But it is going to be a much closer series. I think a lot of people are going to give it credit for. The one reason I'm going to give Vegas the nod is because I do think that they are more, as I said, more well-rounded. The additions of Paul Stasny and Mark Stone to the team but also Marc-Andre Fleury is going to be fantastic. But think of the storylines of this. You know, you have Marc-Andre Fleury versus Martin Jones. You have the match of the 2016 finals. You have Eric Carlson going up against Mark Stone, who were teammates last year. You have these kind of things. And obviously, San Jose is a very experienced team in the playoffs, but I, I don't know how long they can last. Because Vegas is very fast. They are still relatively young, and they're running four lines. Yeah, and the thing is, is like these two teams have had a close, close matchups 
for the season as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, I this one goes to seven, and this is going to be a fun series. For sure. I it's think that this is definitely the series in the Western Conference I will follow. Because I look at the other series, and I'm just like, I don't really am all that interested in watching any of these other teams. Yeah, although what's interesting, I think, is uh, if any if anything lets San Jose down, it's going to be Jones and Dell. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, and that's why I'm giving the nod to Vegas, is because Marc-Andre Fleury has been pretty good all season, and Martin Jones has not been. But yeah, Martin Jones is probably the reason that I think San Jose will end up losing this series unless he regains his form of 2016. For sure. Do you want to go on to the next basket case? Yeah, the next series, Nashville versus Dallas. I'm going to give Nashville the nod in five games just because, again, and I've talked about this with Dallas, is that I look at their team on paper, it should be better than they are. And I know that Ben Bishop's been playing well for Dallas, and obviously their type line of Radloff, Sagan, Ben has been really good. But I'm sorry, there's just, for me, there's too many question marks with Dallas and Nashville. Once again, Nashville seems to be like the better team, and so I'm going to give Nashville in five games. It's an interesting matchup for sure, but like both teams have strong goaltending. Because Pekarene and uh, Storlots have been playing, not Storlots, sorry, uh, Sanren have been playing fan, very good hockey as well. So this is whichever goalie blinks, because the Predators, they've been playing good hockey. Their D has been fantastic, but we've seen some of the regression down the middle, like uh, Nick Benino and Kyle Turris have been, Nick Benino is about where you expect him to be. Kyle Turris has been downright pedestrian. Mm-hmm. Like he's been healthy, scratched quite a bit. Because of that, I think the National Predators are a lot top heavier than they see, than people would think. And Wayne's the Wayne Simmons pickup has not worked out. No, but I know even uh, their trade deadline episode, you said that that would end up coming back to bite them in the ass. Yeah, so like, I honestly think that. This is going to be a closer series than people think. I think this one goes to seven. And I can see either team coming away from it. The Predators, although the other thing is the Predators have warmed up a bit. But like both teams are coming into the playoffs hot. Like mm-hmm. The Predators were 7-2-1. and one, Dallas is 6-3-1. and one, So they're coming in hot. It's going to be a good series. For sure. Let's go on to the fourth and final series in the Western Conference. Winnipeg versus St. Louis. Adam, I'm so sorry to say this, but I'm going to go St. Louis in six games be, just because I don't know where the hell Patrick Laine has been this season. I don't I don't know where the fuck... The, like, the Jets were fantastic up until Christmas, then all of a sudden they just fucking disappeared. Yeah, you know whose fault it is? It's all because of Fortnite. That's the problem right there, kids. Fortnite. But no, the Blues have been one of the best teams since the new year. And the Jets just have disappeared. Yeah, which is funny to think, because eh? Dallas and St. Louis were in the bottom of the league. Or bottom of the Western Conference, as I say, coming into the new year. And they both have gotten really hot and made it into the playoffs. Yeah, no, I think I think St. Louis makes it to the next round. 
which is weird because they were kind of sellers at the deadline too. Yeah. So for this round, I've got Calgary, Vegas, Nashville, and St. Louis. So obviously in the second round, I'm picking Calgary and Vegas and Nashville, St. Louis for the next round. Yeah, then that's going to be interesting. Yeah, and we'll even get together again, and we'll talk about that when it happens, Tim. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's head on into the Eastern Conference, and we're going to start off with Tampa Bay versus Columbus. This is a series that I look at it, I don't know who's going to come out of this. And let me tell you why. Tampa Bay is coming off the season where they steamrolled everybody. Was to 62 wins, which tied the 95-96 Red Wings. Columbus, they went all in. They got Matt Duchesne. They got Ryan Dezingle. So they are now in a win-now mode. This is a make-or-break-it year for not only Columbus, but for Tampa Bay. Because Tampa Bay is going to get hard with the salary cap. But if I'm going to make a prediction, to me, I see this going seven games. And I see this going either way. For both teams, because as I said, both teams are now in a make it or break it playoffs, and it's really going to come down to how the goaltending and also how the goal scoring is going to come out. Mm-hmm. I definitely see where you're coming from, but at the same time, though, this Tampa Bay team can play heavy, it can play mean, and frankly, it has just offense coming out the yin-yang. And I think Vasilevsky continues his excellent play. I think Tampa Bay takes this one. But it's it's going to be close. I think Tampa takes it in six or seven. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I and, could see this stifling Tampa Bay is if Columbus's defense decides just to stand right at the blue line and not let them come past them. I can see Torch trying that. But I think Tampa has the speed to torch them on the dump. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to be hard, and it's. I think the key for Columbus is uh, you need Dzingel and Deshane to step up. Yeah, and obviously, Duchesne is in a contract year, so you got to worry about that. Panarin is also in a contract year. Bobrovsky's in a contract year, so all three of them need to come up big if they want to get paid on July first. Oh, for sure, but. And I think for Duchesne, this this is almost a legacy year. Yep. You've been bouncing teams to get into the playoffs. You're there. What do you do? And fair or not fair, this is going to follow. Yep. Yeah, but you know what? It happens to all the really good players. Look at Steve Eiserman 25 years ago, right? Where, you know, you always knew that offensively he was great. He put up all these big numbers in the regular season. But in the playoffs he and the team ended up falling apart. Mm, until one year they did. Yep. So we're going to go on and we're going to talk about Washington versus Carolina. And you know what? Even though Carolina has been a really great story this season, I'm going to go Washington in five games just because I think Washington's firepower is going to take down Carolina in this series. This is the hard thing with the Carolina Hurricanes, though. This is a team, phenomenal mobile defense, great, great two-way forwards, and finally has the goaltending match. I think most people sell Curtis McElhaney short, mm-hmm. 
to their detriment. And I can this isn't going to be an easy series for Washington because Carolina is Carolina's good. I think Washington wins, but this goes to seven. Okay. So we're going to go on to the next series, and we're going to talk about the New York Islanders versus the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think this is going to come as no surprise. I'm actually going to take the Islanders in this series to take them in six games because even though Pittsburgh is very top-heavy with the Sidney Crosby, the Evgeny Malkins, the Phil Castles of the world, their defense, their defense is their defense, and it is not good. And I think the New York Islanders, you know, they have a lot of youth. They've got a lot of speed. And their defense isn't too bad. And Robin Leonard's having a fantastic season. So I'm going to pick the New York Islanders in six games to move on to the second round. Yeah, and honestly, I think it's... the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh did a lot of subtraction by addition over this year. Especially with two of the worst core C defensemen in the league, and they play them a lot, Eric Branson and Jack Johnson. Derek Broussard, sorry, Derek Broussard's gone, my bad, but like, it's been bad. Yeah. Like, that defense is disgusting, and I don't think Matt Murray's had that great of a season, to be honest. No, and that's why I'm picking the Islanders to take them in six, because the Islanders, even without John Tavares, and everybody thought the Islanders were going to be a top five team in, in this draft lottery. But look how good they've been. You know, they have Anders Lee. Obviously, Matt Barzell is playing great. Robin Leonard's finally gotten over his demons and has really put in a great season for the Islanders. And a lot of people are selling the Islanders' defense short, but I think they're going to be really good in the playoffs, and that's why I'm taking the Islanders in six. Yeah, no, the Islanders, and they're well-coached, too. Yep. Like, the thing is, is the Islanders, they're not as explosive as Pittsburgh is, but they're not going to give you much. They're not going to give you a lot. Absolutely. And now we come to the fourth and final series, and this is the series everybody wanted us to talk about. The Bruins versus the Leafs. I'm going to say Leafs in four. No, I'm not going to say that. I'm actually going to go Bruins in six games because, honestly, it's going to happen. This team is going to go 0-3 to the Bruins in the first round, and this is why Boston has four complete lines. Their defense has been great because Tori Krug is now back. Tuka Rask has been really good. But Toronto on the other side, yes, they have all that firepower. Yes, they've got Tavares. Yes, they've got Matthews. Yes, they've got Marner and whoever else. But again, look at the defense and look at Freddie Anderson. Frederick Anderson is so cooked at this point. If you were to tell me... That guy was Freddie Anderson in the Leafs. I would say, no, that more that looks more like Cam Talbot on the Oilers. Maybe not that well, cooked, but he's fucking cooked. Well, the thing is, he got run last night in Montreal by uh, Shaw, and he took a few minutes to get up. He, I don't think he's going to be... I think he's going to play, but he's not going to play to his best. The other thing is, Boston is fucking stingy this year. Like, you're not getting good shots against the Bruins. No. And I think Boston's defense, especially with the emergence of uh, Charlie McAvoy, just being able to completely clean out that net, and Chara finally making his move into a more age-appropriate role. Yeah. And Brandon Carlo stepping up, that's a, that's a stingy defense. And 
and I think they're going to be able to give that Toronto team fits. For sure. So, leaving the Eastern Conference, I'm going to go with, I'm going to say Boston, Washington, and the Islanders. So, obviously, next round you'll see the Washington play the Islanders and the Bruins. I don't really want to pick one between Tampa and Columbus, but I'm going to go Tampa just because I think they are a much better team than Columbus. They're a fucking buzzsaw. But it's going to be tough. And I know that might come back to bite me in the ass. So I'm going to say Tampa, Boston, Washington Islanders, Predators and Blues, and the Flames and the Golden Knights in round two. And that's going to be a hell of a That's going to be a good round two. Yes. And you know what, Tim? We will be back. We're obviously going to take next week off. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll do our top five actual good things from the 2018-2019 Ottawa Senators. And we will... Keep on going, buddy. Yeah, sounds good, my dude. So, Tim, now that we have that all out of the way, do you have anything you want to say before we close out Season 2? Fuck the Leafs. Couldn't say better better than that, Tim. But what I actually want to say is I want to thank everybody for listening to the second season of the Third Line Plug Sensecast. And we will be back in Season 3. And I really hope you enjoy our summer episodes coming up. Because we've got some good ideas, and we are going to be rolling some ideas this summer. So please be on the lookout for that. And we might have the odd interview coming out this summer. We haven't really decided on it yet. But just keep an eye out for that. No, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. And honestly, it's really cool that folks are just including us in their daily lives. So uh, thanks a ton, and I love doing this every week, and I can't wait for Season 3, man. Yeah, it's going to be great. You know, unless those people have just tuned out after your whole, you know, shooting silicone into your nuts. It's an important public safety knowledge. True. All right, guys. Well, first of all, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We're on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash Third Line Plug Sensecast. And because our bot Dave made the mention, we're on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter at ThirdLinePluggers, our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger, and I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-I-T-E, Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about your favorite moments from Season 2, choose an email, ThirdLinePluggsSenseCast at gmail.com. Until next season, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Suns, guys. So long, my time here is up. They're going home!